Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of The Cognitive Canine, and this is called Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. Hey crew, I've got a special guest here today. I have Ryan Cartledge, who is the founder of Animal Training Academy, um, who's someone that I've had the pleasure of hanging out with a couple of times while I was in New Zealand. And Ryan's here to tell us about Animal Training Academy and why it why it is and what it is. So Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Hey Sarah, uh, great to be here. I love your show. Uh, and loved meeting you in person here in New Zealand uh, over the last couple of years. So I'm really excited and, and pumped to be able to hang out with you and your podcast audience today. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, it's kind of been a long time coming. So we, <laughs> we're finally <laughs> doing finally doing the thing. Um, you're here on Cog Dog Radio, and I will be in an upcoming episode of the Animal Training Academy podcast show as well. And we talked about that the first time I was in New Zealand, which is like two and a half years ago now. I feel um, like the so general, <laughs> the general um, metaphors are coming to my mind. It's like aged wine, you know, good things take time, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's so right. that's, 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 that's why right. it's taken so long. It was strategic, totally. It wasn't. It, we did it on purpose. We 100% <laughs> did it on purpose. So Ryan... Tell me, tell me a little bit about yourself as a trainer first, and then we'll dive into what Animal Training Academy is. So my background is mainly working in zoological organizations with birds, uh, doing educational demonstrations uh, for visitors. Uh, with conservation messages, uh, so would the birds would be free flying them, uh, eagles, hawks, falcons, storks, parrots, owls, everything in between. Uh, worked in New Zealand, worked across Australia, worked. I did an internship in the US. I tried to work there for a couple of years, but uh, <laughs> we have to like win the green card lottery to work in your country which yep. I didn't win, uh, even though I tried a couple of times, uh, and worked in Canada. Uh, and, I mean, some of the coolest things we did when, when I was at, in Dallas doing my six-week internship with a company called Natural Encounters, uh, which was started by an animal trainer called Steve Martin based out of Florida. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we did things like release hawks out of Ferris wheels, and had them zoom over thousands of people's heads and land on a land on Steve's glove on stage, uh, which is one of the standout behaviors that I've been fortunate Seriously. enough. Yeah, very cool, very cool to be involved with. It's not the coolest behavior that I've managed to uh, be involved with on my training or on my ba- nerd odyssey. Uh, the one I'm about to talk about, though, I wasn't involved with training or, or working with. It was just something I did as a tourist uh, while I was in Nepal. A guy called Scott Mason there trained some Egyptian vultures to paraglide with him. Um, so we got to jump off the side of a mountain and, and actually had these 
vultures land on our gloves whilst we're soaring hundreds of meters up in the sky. Um, if you go to my- I would think you just made that up if I didn't know that you were definitely telling the truth. That's insane. Well, it was like, uh, so we made a video of that using a GoPro and I was just like yeah. a child in a candy store. Like I kind of, I kind of lost sense of who I was. I was just so, so much endorphins flowing through my body. Um, just being able, you know, cause for years I'd worked with birds, flying them around, but I'd never flown with birds. Yeah, so to see this vulture, incredible. like just flying right next to us and then like, engaging with us in the sky was, yeah, definitely something else. Uh, it's probably one of my favorite experiences of my life, of my life, I would say. Uh, and, and I found myself working in zoos, uh, sometimes not as a bird trainer, sometimes just as a keeper. Uh, and then I found that managers and a lot of the organizations I worked for would ask to draw on my training experience uh, and get numerous projects uh, going in, in those workplaces. So through that, I got to work with lots of different species and I got to work with teams and I got to work with training humans. Uh, and one of my biggest early influences was Dr. Susan Friedman, uh, so I've learned about applied behavior analysis and uh, how learning works across all species. And I was easily able to transfer the knowledge and skills that I learned with birds to other species and other areas of the zoo. And it really built in me uh, an understanding to kind of step back from the species I was working with and, and, and learn all that information. And, but when I was in front of the individual animal, I'd and metaphorically kind of put that information in the background and just focus on what this individual learner, uh, earthling in front of me, uh, because behavior mm-hmm. works the same for all earthlings. Uh, and I just focus on antecedents, behaviors, consequences, and, and have a kind of set. Well, most of the time I was dealing with behavioral problems. <laughs> so a, a set yeah. strategy, systematic way of um, going through the observable components of that uh, individual behavioral problem, environmental problem for the individual animal. So then I started Animal Training Academy about five years ago, uh, naively thinking I knew, I knew more than I did, I think. Um, <laughs> but, you know, having not worked much with domestic animals, uh, having not worked much with dogs or horses, uh, being the main two domestic animals I'm thinking about. But but understanding logically that everything I'd been doing in the zoo world uh, with regards to learning and solving problems uh, and, and training was 100% applicable to this new context that I wanted to explore more. I was, I was excited to explore more. Uh, and so I just started a, a animal training business that was about earthlings really and and that's you know susan friedman uh, i've already mentioned her used the term earthlings when i saw her um do a, a couple of day workshop with australian trainer peter clark uh, earlier this year mm-hmm. um and, and she said she does this exercise where she says your eyes are four and she gets the audience in front of her to say seeing your nose is four smelling your ears are four hearing and then she'll say your behavior is for 
and there's kind of a silence because we don't really think about the fact that behavior is a biological, uh, not sense, but endowment that we have as, as an earthling on planet earth and yeah. it has function. Uh, and so, so that kind of excites excites me and, and was why I started a venture that was about earthlings. I'll put it that way. Uh, even though I didn't have, when I started Animal Training Academy, a, a background in working with domestic species, I just dived straight in. Um, not quite aware of how much I had to learn. I think my worldview on um, the amount of knowledge that was out there and the amount of skilled yeah. trainers that were out there uh, was quite small. Um, I look at some of my mentors now, some of my biggest mentors, and I just had absolutely no idea they even existed <laughs> uh, when I started Animal Training right. Academy. So, yeah, that's, that's a little bit of a background about where I came from and, and who I am as a trainer. Yeah, so you really started out in, in birds primarily and have um, this great cool resume of all this learning, um, and training with birds. And then, so am I right in saying that you started a business where you were going to help, you were going to kind of take these skills and use them to help people with all of the earthlings that they might share their life with. And then animal training Academy was born or was that, is that kind of flip-flopped? Well, I remember like someone sent me a video of their dog and the dog, had kind of tail low between the legs, ears kind of back. They were lip licking, and they were they had they, they were, uh, had whale eyes and and I viewed this and you know I didn't have experience at reading dogs' body language, so yeah. but, but I understood how the environment. Um, communicated with that animal based on its learning history and how the consequences that we provided today would influence the decisions the dog made tomorrow. But when I spoke to dog trainers about this, it was it was all labels. It's all fear, anxiety, stressed, mm-hmm. anxious, arousal. Uh, and then and we did this amazing thing with that the video so we have this trainer who was working with this animal this dog to get it to jump over a agility hurdle you have to tell me if i get the terminology correct here (laughs) that's fine well we understand hurdle and and what we did is we took the video and we slowed it down like 10 percent of the original speed and then we looked at all the times the ears were down and looked at all the times the ears were up and you could really clearly see the relationship that those behaviors that we had placed labels on were having with the environment. Mm-hmm. You could so easily see the ears go up every time the trainer's hand went into the pouch. <laughs> yep. It, it, was, it was nearly like the trainer had a string attached to the dog's ears. And you, if you watch in slow motion, you can see that hand goes in and in perfect synchrony, the ears go up. Right, and, and so I thought, well, if we want more of this behavior, then let's look at 
the times animal is successful and let's incorporate that into our intervention intervention moving forward and I, I i i thought that that was potentially something that i could offer um mm-hmm. that, that that just because of my experience where i'd come from the people that have mentored me i could bring something to help out and to to combine with people that were more knowledgeable than me in other areas Um, And it also kind of made me see that people weren't necessarily geeking out on this as much as I was. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And that, but, but that I saw that as a problem because for me, one of the reasons that I encourage people to talk about what they can see and hear and to operationalize behavior is that if we use labels, whatever that label might be, let's say fear might be one that we could place on that dog that I just described. Yep. But what it kind of does is take the responsibility for that behavior and put it inside the dog's head and therefore takes responsibility mm-hmm. off us. And, and mm-hmm. I think in that component of how we communicate and how we think about behavior, sometimes it makes us miss the relationship and the interplay between environment and behavior. And that's that's something that I saw a lot in the zoo world. My personal opinion as dog trainers, the level of geekiness we have, and I can say we now, (laughs) I couldn't necessarily back then, um, is different than zoo trainers, depending on the individual. But as a whole, in my experience, this this isn't fact. This is just Ryan speaking right now, probably using too many labels and not really defining what he means uh, to to be perceived by everyone uh, in a, in an agreeing way. But I'll do my best. Uh, so, are you going to say something? No, go ahead. Sorry. I think that uh, so. It's something that I saw in in the zoo world a lot, and I think that dog trainers, horse trainers, can sometimes look at the zoo world and, and think that we've got it all figured out because we do amazing, amazing husbandry behaviors, which we totally do. And I think we do totally have that figured out. Um, but I, I think there's a whole big range of people that work with animals. Uh, in general keeping roles that don't have a basic understanding of uh, how learning works. I agree. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, 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 and that's through no fault of anyone's. I mean, a lot of people want to work in the zoo industry and consequently we don't get paid much. Uh, and, right. <laughs> the, and, and and so therefore a lot of the, the people coming into the industry are quite young um, and then, and then the other and then and then there's a mix of like extremely skilled extremely knowledgeable people in there as well and then there's some people that have been in the industry for a very long time and and there's been a lot of information that's been added over since since they have begun um, but they've got a lot to think about during the day as well 
uh, not just training. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so I saw a need for that in, in all my uh, jobs and all my roles as an employee in zoos. Um, to the fact, to the point that there would be uh, an, an animal that would be known in the zoo, and I've worked with a few of these, and you know, sometimes uh, euthanasia has been discussed as an option for an animal if it's been displaying aggressive behaviours, and that that animal's known as a bit of a, it's not light, and, and a whole range of labels are used to describe it, but. I've been in situations where no one's actually gone and done a functional assessment of this animal and, and thought about the function of behavior, mm. um, to operationally describe the behaviors they were seeing and the antecedents that they occurred under, the context of which that behavior occurred under. And therefore what that meant was that the animal was being blamed for things to start with, which was what we just talked about. But also, uh, once again, to quote Dr. Susan Freeman, people were just kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall, throwing interventions mm. at the wall and, and hoping something stuck uh, rather than coming out of an intervention based on the individual animal in front of us and the function of its behaviours uh, that we're describing as problematic. Uh, so that that's something that I saw a lot in zoos and I think uh, is a reason that one reason why uh, most places I worked at, I got asked to um, do some kind of training plan. Uh, different organisations, I got asked to do them on different scales. But uh, so yeah, that that was kind of one. That was what that was a big need that I saw. Uh, just labels. <laughs> sure. So if I'm if I'm hearing you, like basically your you know, as you learned and grew and decided that you wanted to um, really, that you could help out in these um, settings, you were really seeking to unlabel all the earthlings. <laughs> and um, and then I imagine that ATA was born because you talk about this geeking out and this ne- this necessity of all this geekiness which we could probably unpack geekiness for a second, but um, am I right in thinking that ATA Animal Training Academy was kind of your your idea to be that place for everybody to come together and actually get passionate about the unlabeling of the Earthlings and making, um, you know, making all this geeky but so so necessary stuff a little bit more like common mainstream talked about so that we can help them better? Yeah, I think it was to maybe put it in two words to, and and actually I I think I risk sounding a little bit negative, but to to create more responsibility on our behalf for our animal's behavior. Uh, You know, if we've got an animal in a zoo that's aggressive or at home, uh, a domestic animal uh, or in any other situation and we're talking about things like euthani- euthanasia but we haven't done a functional assessment right um i think you know that's to me and and, and i don't think it's because anyone's inherently bad 
I mean, people can't do a functional assessment if people don't know what a functional assessment is. Exactly. So it's kind of trying to spread that education so that we can actually all benefit from the kind of collective knowledge that does exist is kind of what I see ATA doing. Yeah, it is now. It is now. I think potentially I didn't have that vision when I started. Um, I just kind of wanted to to spread some information and I just, I just, yeah, that, that's it. Like it didn't even necessarily have like a huge monetary focus or anything. I wasn't like, Hey, let's start a business around this. Um, it was just a, just a spread information. Uh, and then I didn't know if anyone would even look at anything that I made. Uh, but I put a, I put a course online in 2015 around July and uh, some people purchased it and that was highly reinforcing for me and uh, I just I didn't stop <laughs> creating content <laughs> that was nearly and five the, years ago yeah that uh, wow okay so 2015 you made an online course people signed up yeah that reinforced your behavior so you kept making online content <laughs> um, I think that a lot of times for me, what I see when I see successful professionals in this field, a lot of times that is how it starts is just kind of want to say something. So then you say it or you kind of want to teach something. So you teach it and people show up and people um, absorb it, appreciate it, et cetera. And so then you just keep going and it just kind of grows from there. Do you feel like you started ATA because of the, you had talked about the need, so kind of a gap in the industry with the zoological kind of community where you wanted to make sure that animals were, that the responsibility was being put on the trainer and not the learner. And would you say that ATA grew from some other kind of need? Uh, well, I'm, I'm nodding my head there as you uh, say, <laughs> take responsibility. Uh, because for me, that's still what it is. I think a- ATA has, has grown since then, though. Since me having a desire to um, give ma- give people information that I thought might be beneficial for them to um, uh, make them ask questions and, and be an approximation for them on their journey. Uh, at that time, was there anything else? It- <sighs> I'd love to say, I'd love to sit here and tell you that it was a strategic thing that I thought out and planned, but it wasn't. <laughs> uh, e- even the membership now, I mean, p- people use the word success when they look at Animal Training Academy. And, and, and five years isn't necessarily a long time, I guess, to think about the fact that there was nothing and now there's this international community. Uh, that every big conference we've got ATA members gathering and sharing photos online of each other. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, the community spread from offline to us, you know, once again, uh, not in, in a way where I've sat down and strategically planned this out, but set the antecedents up for, for those things to happen, for those behaviours to happen. Um, and... 
I don't think I, I, I feel like I want to say something else here, but I don't think like there was any other initial drive, um, just to other than just to provide some information that I thought was important. Yeah, and it's kind of all spun from there. Well, I mean, I feel like that's how um, my podcast was born <laughs> was there wasn't really any drive for it to do anything for me business-wise it was more um that i realized that people were reading less and consuming um heard or listened to content more than read content and that if they were reading something it was it was two sentences attached to a photograph um and they're less and less likely to read a blog so i just said okay i'm going to put out I'm going to try this podcast thing <laughs> and um, it grew into something that I didn't expect also. But I think sometimes that's the best way for things to be born is just that you have a desire to put something out um, or to talk about something. And from there it grows into something else. But you mentioned something about the community that is ATA and I've observed that to be something that is actually paramount in, I'm sure in all fields, but I can really only speak for my own, which is dog training, um, that when there's a community that is based in kind of a mutual um, appreciation of quality training or, you know, some sort of it really doesn't matter. I mean, basically if the community is based in a, in a kind of mutual understanding of the field and the community leaders always kind of push the community towards um, positive ways of speaking and thinking rather than kind of building, building themselves up by tearing others down. Um, then those communities can really, move mountains and can really change um, the face of any field. And I definitely observe that in um, the Fenzy Dog Sports Academy community is definitely, I think the community is why the school is so strong. And I feel that way about ATA. I think that your community of members is I dare I say it's an even bigger strength than the content. Like you're putting out quality content, but the community itself is huge. Yeah, I think people come for content, but they stay for community, and that and that's a man. That's a mantra that's common within memberships, within successful memberships. I would say. I was I was going to say before uh, that people might label ATA as successful. I was going somewhere with that, and then I kind of went off on some random. <laughs> New Zealand, New Zealand tangent, um, but but there's been so many things that I would label as <laughs> was hard because I want to say it in a way that I think the, your audience would understand because uh, I mm -hmm. uh, have reframed how I think about things a lot over the years. Uh, there have been with all the successes, there's been a lot of learning opportunities. Um, some other people might call them failures. Uh, yes. <laughs> that it, that have really kind of propelled ATA to to where it is now, um, and 
those have come and, and what it is now has been shaped not by me but by the people that interact with Animal Training Academy, uh, specifically and, and most importantly now the Animal Training Academy uh, premium members. So these are uh, members who uh, pay for membership uh, and, mm-hmm. and get access to content that isn't available for free and the community. And, and the reason, I mean, I, I'm in the community unless I'm on vacation, which never happens, or um, away on a work trip doing consulting or attending workshops. Uh, I'm in the community a couple of hours every day. Um, and, and I do think that, like you say, that there's huge value in that and that's why people are staying with Animal Training Academy. Uh, but but that and everything that's currently uh, makes up animal training the animal training academy membership and and the free areas of animal training academy this, uh, the animal training academy podcast show the public forum and Facebook uh, my blog the email list that I send out stuff to every week and I think that oh, the free course that's on my website as well so there's there's a ton of free content um, it's all been shaped by the people that interact with Animal Training Academy. Um, it's completely different than what I thought I was going to create because via the learning opportunities, I learned that what I thought I was going to create, people didn't want. <laughs> <laughs> yes, those learning opportunities there. <laughs> those very um, mentally challenging <laughs> They can be, expensive. you know, they can sometimes be, yes, expensive. They can be maybe maybe at times a little punishing, but if we reframe reframe our way of thinking as seeing them as learning opportunities, that's always helpful. I think it's helpful after you're done feeling crappy about it. <laughs> it's, I mean, the, the biggest learning opportunities, um, times where I thought I'd created something cool, and, you know, and, and the hardest part is when you think you've created something cool, I'm talking about an online course here, uh, is that you've poured so much of your heart, soul, time, and money into it. Yeah. You're so invested in it. No one no one else can understand how invested you are in it. When that doesn't resonate with people and people are like, no, we don't want that. That, that the, the learning that I went through throughout that process uh, was hard not just for me, but it was hard for my wife and um, <laughs> yes. and the people around me. Um, my, my wife said in her wedding speech, I think, that she didn't really see me for two years <laughs> as I went through those learning opportunities. <laughs> um, oh, boy. And it's, I think that's so true. And that's one of the things that one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you um, on my podcast is that um, the kind of fundamentals of entrepreneurship are something that I'm really interested in and also interested in for other dog trainers and want other dog trainers to kind of embrace a little bit better. And what you just talked about, this is so hard. It's so hard for everyone. Um but it can, it can be really, really, um, it can just be kind of devastating sometimes to produce something 
and then have it flop and you spent so much time on it and so much money on it. And it's true. Um, and I think that can fear of those learning opportunities can sometimes halt production of more things, but I'm really glad that you pulled through. Yeah. All that. <laughs> well, I, I feel like the label resilience gets talked about a lot in our community. Mm-hmm. It's a great label to talk about. Uh, building resilience is something that's definitely worthy of our time. Uh, but that's just something that comes to mind as we have this conversation right now is the, the frame of mind that you have around those learning opportunities. Because uh, at the time when I was when I first started ATA, I had a full-time job. I was creating this online course putting a lot of my spare time. I had co-curricular activities, sporting uh, activities that I was heavily in, involved with. And I was studying a, a postgraduate diploma in business. So I could read a textbook, write a assignment, and then go and set a three-hour exam. And for example, write about the four P's of marketing. Right. <laughs> and get an A. Yeah, you know, but that's that's you know when you think about uh, learning as humans, we can be told to not touch a hot stove, or we can touch a hot stove, and we might learn the same things, but the learning experience is very different. Uh, and so, for me, a good friend of mine at the time told me that I was wasting my money on university. Uh, they they told me that I could get anything I learned from university for free online anyway. <laughs> uh, but but it also made me think that why am I doing this? Why am I reading a textbook? I don't want to say that yeah. everyone's in in position because because I went to my mum's house and asked for money right. uh, when things weren't going well, uh, and you know it, that that is demoralising. Yep. Uh, but that was a much better way for me to learn than reading a textbook. Uh, and it was reframing in my own mind and, and having a great network of intelligent, supporting friends and family and my wife who I wouldn't be here and couldn't have done this without um, that that kind of provided what what I'm going to label as resilience and and what that looks like is being at my mum's house asking for money but kind of viewing it as a learning experience even though your emotions are like this sucks dude <laughs> you know and you don't feel good and you don't want to get up in the morning you get up in the morning anyway Yeah. And I think back to that resilience label, what you've said is interesting. And I wonder about um, resilience being about knowing that even if you fall, you will be able to get up um, because you have this support and you have the community. Um, You have your family, you have good friends, you have your partner. Like if you have all of those things, then maybe you know that if you fall, you will get back up again. And I think that um, it's not just about falling and getting back up and getting back up, but it's, 
it's at some point embracing that knowledge that you will keep falling and you also will keep getting back up and that this is just what it looks like. Yeah, and I really hope that I don't fall again because <laughs> it's not fun. But I think it's not fun. I think when you do fall, uh, and and you can think about this with your animal training as well. Uh, whether you think you will or you will not succeed, you're likely correct. And what I mean by yeah, that, that's so, it, so true. It's your mindset more than whether you can or can't actually do something. It's whether you believe that you can. I mean, obviously, we can't just like go outside and like start flying. Right. That's, I mean, I'm not one of those people, but sometimes that's criticism I get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that that might be something that we could add to our definition of what resilience is. Is even when everything seems to be communicating to you that potentially whatever you want to achieve is out of your reach, you still believe that you can. And then that's likely true. But if you believe that you can't, it's exactly the same circumstances and that's also likely true. (laughs) Does that make sense? It does make sense. And where I'm thinking... um because this word resilient gets tossed around in animal training as a label on animals too, a lot of the time. And Hannah Brannigan actually just did a good podcast about it, about kind of what does resilience look like. Um, But what I'm picking out that might be interesting as far as animals are concerned is that if you, it's, you know, you kind of said, if you believe that you can do it, even if it looks like you can't, I think that in, at least in dog training, people like to um, attribute that to just genetics. So just the temperament of Mm -hmm. the animal in front of you. And I definitely, you know, acknowledge that genetics and environment are both always at play and always working together. Um, It's not nature versus nurture, it's nature and nurture (laughs) all the time. But I think that we need to not discount the reinforcement history or punishment history, depending on what's going on, right? So if you so you have the the experience of of failure was highly punishing, but rising above it and pushing through it and getting help from those around you had enough of a reinforced packed enough of a reinforcement punch to make you resilient to try again. Well, I'd say for failure to be punishing, I'd have to decrease my frequency of failure, but I definitely haven't done that. <laughs> uh, but that's a label. Yeah, so I'm I, mis- I misspoke. <laughs> no, you're right, because um, punishment's defined by its function, right? And so if your behavior didn't decrease at all, <laughs> then you, you may have um, – faced aversive stimuli but you did not you were not your behavior was not punished or or it shows me that that there's a level of reinforcement in there for me Um, yeah because i'm trying to just figure out what works and obviously the the reinforcement over the long haul has been what people that engage with animal training academy have told me that it's worked whether they have told me that personally, Ryan, hey, you know when you did that thing, it worked. 
or they tell me because they download a podcast episode and that adds mm-hmm. to a metric that I see on my screen or they tell me because they purchase an Animal Training Academy membership or they leave a comment on my blog. Like Those are the reinforcements that have uh, led me to repeat behaviors that have turned into what you physically see within the Animal Training Academy membership now. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, do you want to say something? I was, I was just going to say that's, that's where it, that's why it is what it is today. R- rather than me going, here's what I'm going to create. I learned right. when, when I had that um, challenge I talked about before the online course that I put everything into and didn't go well. Um, although that's not necessarily true as well. It's the, the one technique I used to try to promote that didn't go well. However, via a different uh, promotion strategy, it, it didn't go great, but it went okay. Um, but something I learned then and I'm grateful for, and I don't think I would have learned it in the same way, just like touching a hot stove is being told not to touch a hot stove, um, had I studied at a university and wrote an assignment about it, um, was that you have to listen to listen to the people <laughs> what are the what do the people want um and and people want community and that's what animal training academy is providing for people now it's true and it's they clearly that's clearly what they want right as you mentioned they come for the content they stay for the community and that's true across the board um where I'm thinking this can be helpful for everyone is that if you are kind of an entrepreneur that is, you know, maybe afraid to do that big thing or do that big project, know that, you know, it is these, it is these kind of this buildup of all of these reinforcers. So like you mentioned all these different ways that your behavior of producing content is reinforced. Um, looking at it like that and then understanding that you, you know, everybody, everybody screws up, everybody fails, everybody puts out a project people don't like this. This happens to everyone. Um, You know, or you say something on Facebook and you get 5,000 emails about how wrong you are. (laughs) I mean, you get like, there's all of these things that will happen, but if you focus on, you know, look at those little little reinforcements that show up, like the number of likes on your post or the number of downloads on your podcast, they will carry you through those other hard times. And I think that's applicable to our animal training as well. That, um, you know, when I talk about trying to help dogs learn through success instead of failure, I the criticism that I hear of that is that then the dogs won't be resilient to failure. And I think the opposite is true because if they are usually successful, then those couple of failures here and there are not going to affect them. Whereas if they're usually failing and they get the odd success here and there, which is how a lot of agility training is done. Um, you know, people believe that that makes them resilient to failure. And again, I I think the opposite is true. If you had produced something else and put the same amount of 
um, money and time and effort and emotion and whatever into it and it failed again, um, we may not be talking about ATA on my podcast today. <laughs> right? Yeah, um, we'd be talking about something different. We would be talking about something different. If something else would have conspired, right? So I think it's all a very roundabout way of saying that um, success is probably what success being, you know, pay attention to all the tiny successes that there are throughout the day and focus on those things um, that will help you kind of ride through the failures that might show up. Yeah. Celebrate those approximations. I, yes. I did an activity once where I just wrote down every, everything throughout a day and it was a long list of all of the little tiny things I did that helped me move no matter how small and insignificant it might seem closer to my goals. And that list was phenomenally long. However, we can get to the end of the day and think about that one thing that went wrong. Um, So I think that's great advice to remember to celebrate approximations. Hey, um, if we have time, I'd love to talk a little bit more about the community and some things that I hypothesize as to why it's successful. And, And the reason I want to talk about that is because listeners of your show are likely engaging on social media. Um, so Definitely. I thought it might have value for everyone. All right, let's dive into that. Uh, and, and before the recording today, you, you mentioned you wanted to know about why the why of Animal Training Academy, um, which I think kind of factors yes. into into this little offering. Uh, and I don't know if you've read the, the, I think it's Michael Sinek. He wrote the book called Why. Have you? I have not. It is on the list, which is a long list. <laughs> but I have not read it. So, so he talks about like you know a, a computer company selling a MP3 player. Like this book's a bit old now, um, and that was before we had smartphones with Spotify. Um, and like they would be like, this MP3 player can hold so many songs, and it has record function, and it has this function and that function. Whilst Apple came along and said, put a thousand songs in your pocket. And it right. it it focused on a different thing. The first example focused on what and the second example focused on why. Um, so I did an approximation <laughs> of starting to read that book. Didn't finish it still. Uh, and got thinking about Animal Training Academy's why. And I still don't think I communicate it as succinctly as Apple did back in the day. I don't think many people can do that. I mean, I watch an Apple ad now and they're like, look at our Apple Watch and they list out all the functions. So I'm so curious as to how Apple will continue uh, seeing that it's kind of reverted back to focusing on the what with its Apple yeah. Watch ads. Um, but we, we've defined the Animal Training Academy why as just trying to help as many animals uh, and humans as we possibly can. Uh, through the dissemination of content from the world's most proficient professionals, people like yours, truly, Sarah Streaming. Uh, and we do that via podcasts and, and online membership and all the other content we create. So that's my attempt at starting with why and then going to what. Um, 
and then that spills over into the community. So the Animal Training Academy community is the, the paid community is made up of a Facebook group, which was selected just because Facebook's where most people hang out. And that made sense to me. Mm-hmm. And, and a forum area on the Animal Training Academy website. Um, so the why of that community is to help individual members with their individual animal training challenges um and and the focus of our community is primarily applied behavior analysis Um, so we are really interested in focusing on individuals individual animals and what the function are what the function is for for those animals and whatever challenges that we might be having with them uh, and then linking that all within the content. So most members can ask me a question now, and I know somewhere there's in my brain is a catalog of where, of what everyone said at every point in time. No, I'm just joking. But a lot of where all of the content stored so we can link directly to past content uh, that's got relevance to wherever people are in their, in their training journeys. But the other thing that's... I think has led to the and I and I and this has come from many learning opportunities. Uh, I found it interesting in myself how quickly I kind of went to moderating an online community and uh, you know my I, I immediately went to like if we want us um, people to not do these behaviours, not post stuff that's off focus for our community, then you know we'll just reach out to them and say hey. You know, this isn't the focus of the community. Which, logically right, is adding something into the environment to try to decrease behavior. Uh, and we very quickly saw fallout from that. Mm. Like it was, it, was, and it was so interesting, so interesting to see the textbook fallout of using punishment happen from just something simple as I just described to you. Tell me, tell me specifically what, what did you see when you guys started? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Escape avoidance behaviors. Uh Apathy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Overgeneralized fear of the environment. (laughs) Not, not being a team. And I, and it was, I see it on other animal training forums that I'm in, um, not yours and not now. Anyway, I actually wasn't in it when you were experimenting like this, so I, I didn't see it. Um, but yours and then also the the Fenzy Dog Sports alumni group are kind of the two that I, I don't really see that stuff super often, those behaviors, but I see them everywhere in all the other groups that I'm in. Yeah, and I love you tying it back to punishment. It is classic fallout from from that. So we, we didn't have any guidelines or rules because I don't, you know, that kind of takes away control and choice. Mm-hmm. So I resisted it for so long. Now we have something called the ATA mindset, which you might call rules or guidelines. <laughs> but, I mean, it's fine not having that when you have enough resources to manage everything until something happens, right? And then an event happened, right. which still haunts me to this day. 
um, which meant that I didn't have anything to lean back on. Um, and I didn't have the resources to give the challenge that was in front of me. So we created we created the mindset, um, which basically just we says treat everyone with respect, label, appreciate that. We do our best to offer examples of what that looks like. Uh, we've got members only content about what that looks like. Uh, we lean heavily on crucial conversations, which is all about describing behavior and operationalizing what we actually see. Um, and, and just being a bit more strategic in how we interact with each other. And the ripples, we talk about ripples a lot in Animal Training Academy, which are just little things that you can do that, you know, mm-hmm. little little hinges that might swing big doors is another way of putting it. Uh, yeah. And the ripples from just having crucial conversations be a fundamental component of our mindset have just been huge. Uh, we get regular posts about people that have read that book, engaged with the ATA community, listened to the podcast on ATA, seen how others are using it, uh, and go out and and make some pretty big changes, um, like and just like organisation changing and organisation changing changes <laughs> uh, with the skills that they learn in crucial conversations. So I think that's been a, a, a really big part of it. Um, it's been a life-changing book for me. Uh, and I've got a lot of learn- a lot of reinforcement learning history with applying the things I've learned from that book. And I've yet to yeah. come across a single situation where I can't lean on the strategies and techniques that books taught me and take approximations forward in in my working relationships with humans. I think so too. I think it's the kind of the first major impactful thing that I had in client communication was in college. I took some counseling psychology courses and learned how to, there's the textbook is called helping others. And it's basically about speaking to people in a helping role. Um, It has a lot of the same concepts as Crucial Conversations. And then coming to Crucial Conversations later um, has been has been monumental for me. And I was introduced to it by uh, Dr. Susan Friedman at Clicker Expo. She did a talk and also like a role playing thing um, where we all kind of we heard about it and then we tried it out um, at the conference. So definitely huge. so the why <laughs> and the the current kind of present existence of ATA is that it's a place for where we can help animals and people. And you've kind of produced this mindset rather than rigid rules um, where people can share. And what I've observed in the group is it's probably the group that I see the most of the groups that I'm in. Cause I'm actually not in very many animal training groups anymore <laughs> for my own mental health, but for some of the reasons that you expressed earlier. Um, but one of the most, one of the places that I feel people are the most free to share what they're doing and showing videos of what they're doing. Um, and they feel like it's, they feel like it's safe there to get feedback 
Yeah, and you know, a, a, a big contributor to that ripple is Sarah Owings and, and her concept yeah. of brave learning. Um, she's been fundamental in the last 12 months in shaping how I give feedback to myself about my training uh, and also how I offer it to others. Um, and so I've got a, a bunch of people that help me out with the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, you know, we're looking for, well, firstly, I'm not, I've, I've, I don't, I very rarely now, maybe once or twice every six months, we'll say to someone, hey, that specific post, um, can I, can we just have a conversation about that? Because I'm, yeah. I'm just a little bit curious about uh, learning more regards to, in its relation to the mindset. I mean, maybe yeah. once or twice every six months, if that. But what we do do is all of the posts that are mindset related, we could spend our energy focusing on the other, but we spend all of our energy focus on reinforcing those posts. Mm-hmm. They are posts that focus on, because our focus is the individual. That's, that's what our community, and that's not to say that other communities should do that too. Um, we, we encourage everyone finding the community that best fits them. And we acknowledge that for some people, the ATA community might not be that place. Um, and, and I'll help people find other communities if, if they don't feel that that's the best fit for what they want or what they need. Um, without, within our community, we are focusing on the individual. So, and we are operationalizing labels and we are doing our ABCs. So that really requires video a lot of the time if not all of the time mm-hmm. um, and it requires and and what we're and so we're, we're trying to reinforce those of likes and comments and helpful comments obviously and those helpful comments are uh, talking about the things we like in those videos so Sarah Owings taught me this and it's so obvious when you talk about it yes totally. but it's not but it's not something that, it's not instinctual no. though yeah so I really, fo- I really try to find, and, and due to the constraints of time, just one thing, um, Sarah Owings, when, when I worked with her doing her CyberSent online learnings, um, she, I've been learning from her in Helix Fairweather this year uh, via mm-hmm. their CyberSent course. Um, you know, they say find three things that you like that you did and three things that a dog did that you liked or whatever animal species you're working with. Um, but I, I toned that down to just one thing I liked that the human did and one thing I liked that the animal did uh, and the feedback that I give um, and modeling that for others. And I'm, and people message me about it and they say, hey, can you help me um, model how I give feedback? Um, and so people are seeing that and people are replicating that. So the antecedents are there, especially for new members coming in. Suddenly they see this is how people interact in this space. Mm-hmm. Something that you and I have talked about uh, on the ATA podcast uh, and that I'm re- being reinforced for a lot. Uh, and Ken Ramirez is in our podcast episode together on, on the Animal Training Academy podcast show. Uh, really inspired my thinking here is trying to meet people where they are and reinforcing. And, and that means, you know, that we might get videos that... Uh, might be criticized in other groups yeah but we i, I just my, my whole mindset on any video i watch is, is 
and I, and I'm you know I'm not perfect and I don't get this right all the time but I constantly just trying to improve is just to go in there before I push play and just like what do I really like in here what do I want to see more of uh, and that's the feedback that gets added and then the other thing once again Sarah Owings has been instrumental in my thinking and learning here is just thinking about a lot of time when people put stuff on Facebook they're not adding what's next Mm-hmm. But and and when they do add what next, I'm generalizing here. Like obviously, this isn't the same for everyone. They add like they lump this huge list of goals. Yeah. Um, so really, just trying to think about what is one small approximation we can take to move a little bit closer to our goals. Um, so that's that's kind of what I've been experimenting with and, and the people that help the community are just, they've been handpicked by, by me. They've been a member for mm-hmm. six months or so. Um, the majority of them have been through Susan Freeman's LLA online course. So I know that they, they understand mm-hmm. that level of analysis. Uh, they have demonstrated in the way they've interacted, the huge amount of positivity uh, and helpful advice um, that they, they can offer. Um, and so I, when I see that modeled by someone, I'll shoulder tap them and, and I give them free membership for as long as they want to help yeah. out. Um, and they just, they just yeah. help engage and reinforce the mindset. So for anyone new joining, the antecedents are all there, I hope. Uh, and I'm consistently trying to add more antecedents. So I'll write a blog post that will serve my weekly email goals to, to non-members, but it will also be an important piece of content that I want to add to the ATA library so that the antecedents are there in case anyone wants to learn and we can direct them to certain resources that help reinforce the mindset. Uh, and then we're just working really hard in that community to reinforce the behaviours that we want to see more of. And if and I talked earlier about the reinforcers for me to continue creating uh, are being from the people that interact with ATA and they might be the amount of downloads or the amount of emails opened or the comments that I get. So comments like the ones that you've just shared in this episode of it's one of the few communities you interact with online and all the positive things you've said about the community. Thank you for that. Uh, are my reinforcement. So we seem to be doing an okay job. Definitely a, I think, a better than okay job. Um, So to wrap it up, if you could give us a quick um, little snippet of what you hope for ATA for the future, Um, you know, the next three years, the next five years, what, what do you hope for Animal Training Academy? Scary stuff, but. ATA, (laughs) scary stuff because I'm announcing it on a podcast, but um, ATA conference in New Zealand in 2020. Uh Um, This is my five-year plan. It's happening. I want to do it once, and and then I can say I've done it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that's happening. Uh, I want to put a shout-out to all the brave learners out there. Uh, including you, Sarah, 
uh, and others that talk about mental health. Um, I want ATA to continue, and I've hired, I've you know I'm I'm spending a lot of my time right now doing really challenging things um, that are not animal training related, that are business structure related. Uh, getting contracts written up, hiring lawyers, uh, making sure all the insurance and, and is all sorted out, building a new website and all of this stuff is so that, and I'm not growing, I'm not trying to grow ATA at the moment with regards to the number of members, I'm just trying to make sure that it's a structurally, um, it's got the infrastructure there that it's structurally sound because I want it to last um, and I don't want it to just, because it's helping people. I mean, every day I'm getting messages saying how much it's helping people, um, especially people that might live in the middle of nowhere. Yes, for sure. And have no support around them. Um, and, and talking about mental health, going back to the reason why I just stated that is because I also have to look after my own mental health. Uh, and I've been close to burnout a couple of times this year. Yep. Yep. Luckily, due to the amazing Animal Training Academy community, I'm going to put a shout out to Petra Edwards from Australia who bravely shared with us in an Animal Training Academy podcast episode her journey um, and really made me realize that things weren't okay in my own life and were maladjusted um, and made me make some big changes. So I know that for ATA to continue... I have to make sure I look after myself. It's that whole you're on the airplane, you have to put your mask on first yeah. before you put it on the person next to you, right? Yeah. yeah. It's really important. So, and, and and the other thing is like we're we're at a level now where we're helping a lot of people and that's not going to stop and the, the membership churns, people come, people go. Um, what's up, Phoebs? And <laughs> she's, she doesn't like it when I say people go. Um, she says no. Um, let me get back to my train of thought. That I could just be like, yeah, cool, I'm comfortable. But that, that, but I'm so grateful that I read that why book and I wrote down an actual why. And our why is to help as many animals and humans as we can. And I know that if I just become complacent, we're not going to achieve that. So to really do that, we have to grow. Um, and, and but I but I don't want in any way, shape, or form for the community and the value that it brings to be compromised. And not only that, I want it to get even better. And so, just like I was when I started the membership, I don't know what that looks like or how that works. I just know that it's going to happen. Because whether you believe you can or whether you believe you can't, you're normally right. So, absolutely. So I'm I'm making sure that everything's structurally and sound. Um, my lawyer's helping me make sure of that stuff. You know that I'm not doing anything that I shouldn't be. Because I mean, I don't know about all the tax laws and about all the international privacy laws. That's not my job. <laughs> know. You know, exactly. Someone, someone else went to school for that. Yeah, so exactly. <laughs> they charge a lot of money. I can tell you that. Um, but I, but I've got a great lawyer. Um, they're fantastic, and I'm extremely grateful for them. Um, once all that stuff's in place, then I can start to hire people. 
So this is what gro- the growth of it looks like. I can hire people and then those people will have legal documents to sign, which means that they can go into the back end of my website, which means that's where your personal data is kept. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not going to, they, they're agreeing in a legal document that they understand what they're doing. Because um, I, I, that's the reason I'm not growing right now, because I'm not going to do that until all of that stuff's sorted yeah. out. Then that those people can come in, they can help, they can take all the menial tasks off me um, and I can focus on how we can help more people and more animals. Um, so my five-year goal is for me to be able to step away from ATA. I'm not going to, but the option for me to physically step away and have it and have it still go on is that's where I want it to be because if I can get to there – we can help more animals and we can help more people for sure. Well, I love it. And I, I really love how closely you're paying attention to your mental health and also getting all the business ducks in a row is really important. And I think you just inspired me to make a couple of moves for my business that I've been kind of putting off. Um, so so just, just let you know, I, I, I actually... Uh, created accountability for myself to do it because I've been saying I've been doing going to do it for years and I haven't done anything. Um, so I've yeah. hired a business mentor. Uh, oh, the reason I can yeah. articulate some of this to you today is because he made me write out my five-year plan. Um, but I also have to check in with him every month. And so he's holding me accountable to the things that I'm saying that I'm going to do. So that was, that was Phoebe again, by the way. I thought maybe you can hear it. She, she's it <laughs> she is well. definitely. She's like two what two podcasts in a row. We've recorded two podcasts in a row today, everyone. <laughs> she's like, Hello, um, <laughs> can you pay attention to the dog now? So that that's been a huge antecedent that I put in place. Uh, it's vital. Yeah. That's I think that's really important. So that has pushed your accountability for sure. It's I mean the, it's been challenging. It's so unfair. <laughs> Literally, I said that and I was like, oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it, – but but I'll get to the end of the month and I'll be like, oh, my God, you know, I haven't done that contract that I said I was going to look over and get sent back to my lawyer and I haven't sorted out my new um, PO, my postal box that's not my residential address and I haven't, you know, done these new things on the website. Um, before I would have been like, yeah, but I'm going to want to train my dog, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so all, all it's, you, the hours in the day don't change, but the decisions that you make in that time and the resourcefulness that you have, um, it, it, it just challenges you to to think in different ways and see new learning opportunities. For sure. Well, Ryan, I think that's a great place to wrap it up. Do you want to remind everybody where they can find you? So the website is www.alltheonewordanimaltrainingacademy.com. Uh, whatever engagement you want to have, you can get on that website. There's a hundred something, not quite as many as a cog dog radio, I don't think, um, podcast episodes. <laughs> and I mean, think about the massive impact we're having, Sarah. Like between you and me, we've got over 200. And then Hannah Brannigan, uh, Nick Benger, we've got nearly 500 episodes i would say it's true and when i started cog dog radio i i looked for dog training podcasts to see what was out there and there wasn't anything 
becoming and now there's a lot now there's quite a few and definitely definitely making awesome ripples all the time uh and then on the website there's a free animal training course and it's five years old now but it still gets really good reviews even though you know that your your own worst critic thing i cringe every time i look at it and then i'm trying to blog every week uh, and so you can join the email list on there as well uh, and on Facebook, there's the business page, but there's also a, a free public group. Then I, I vet everyone that goes in there. Um, I let 99% of people in. Just I'm also uh, making sure that that's full of quality um, people that are that are a right fit for all of the things we've talked about today. Absolutely, you did a great job. Yeah, thank you. Well, that that's the free group. Um, and yeah. then obviously there's a paid membership as well, which you can find out more about on Animal Training Academy. But if you're new to Animal Training Academy, I highly recommend uh, you just dive into all that free stuff because that'll keep you busy for <laughs> next couple of years probably. <laughs> it will. It's, there's so much of it, you guys. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's it's really it's extensive. There's a lot of free stuff on there. Yeah. Keep reinforcing me and I'll keep doing it. That's right. Okay, you guys, all of you go go check out the stuff on animaltrainingacademy.com and when you love it, tell Ryan how much you love it and then he'll keep he'll keep producing more stuff due to reinforcement. Ryan, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Um, I hope hopefully we'll do it again soon. Hey, if you do send me that stuff, I'm literally looking at a folder on my desktop computer right now called the Folder of Awesomeness. And I will add it in there alongside this podcast episode. So, hey, Sarah, thank you so much for uh, doing what you do and helping to uh, make the world a better place. Appreciate you uh, and thank you for this opportunity. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review and subscribe in the podcast app of your choice. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, being a part of the CogDoc Radio community, and getting access to all kinds of extras, head over to patreon.com slash cogdogradio to become a patron. 